Assalamu alaikum. You're listening to the Heartwork Community Quran Study of Surah Yusuf at Roots. All of our programming at Roots is live streamed and published free of charge thanks to the goodwill of our monthly sustainers. Your donations allow us to continue our mission of being a community of welcoming, providing meaningful content, and nurturing our hearts, minds, and souls in coming closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa You can help us reach our Ramadan campaign goal of 250 new sustainers by signing up today. Or, if you are already a sustainer, you can increase your amount and also encourage your family and friends to support the work we do by signing up at rootsdfw.org sustain. As always, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you and reward you. Jazakumullah khairan wa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. Bismillah walhamdulillah. Assalatu wassalamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'een. Welcome home everybody. It's good to see, alhamdulillah, everyone back um, after our little... Eid break, alhamdulillah. I hope that inshallah Ramadan has left us uh, purified and polished inshallah and that Allah Ta'ala accepted from us our deeds and that he allows our deeds to live on inshallah so that we can continue to see the fruits of all the work that we put in. Uh, okay, we're going to continue inshallah. One of the things in the spirit of continuing our deeds is that we want to make sure that we keep our connection with the Quran uh, alive and well, right? A lot of people make commitments during the month of Ramadan to read the Qur'an. How many of you guys made any commitment, any level? Whether it's read more, finish one copy? Okay, so good. So we should also start a uh, tradition of making a commitment on the first day of Shawwal that we're going to read more Qur'an. A lot of people make that commitment first day of Ramadan, but let's keep it going and let's try to keep it inshallah. Maybe you finish a certain amount in the month of Ramadan. Let's see if you can finish the entire thing by next Ramadan, right? Divided up by 11 and uh, see if you can do it, inshallah. So let's continue uh, in that spirit. Now, one thing I wanted to, to say about Surah Yusuf that I don't think I've said before very clearly, but I want to put it out there, is that Surah Yusuf is like uh, an overload of life lessons. So it might feel like in one session, when we go over like four ayat, that you're going to hear me say like three or four, like, not from me, but from the Qur'an, you're going to hear three or four things that are like incredible life lessons that are like way too much to process all at once, or they're just very, very heavy. That's the way that the Qur'an works, right? The Qur'an is meant to be almost like a, 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 um, you know, a, a detox in some ways, like a shock. Sometimes in order to get something to swing the other way, you have to apply a lot of force. And so the Qur'an gives reminders in abundance so that it can knock us off of the, the, the path that we're on, which is going away from Allah, and it can bring us back to the straight path towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So these life reminders, like I said, they're going to come frequently, and they're going to come very heavy. And these are things that you're going to, they're going to hit you, and you're going to say, wow, subhanAllah, like that's really intense. And then right on to the next one, okay? And especially in this particular section, uh, there's a lot, all right? So we have covered up until this point where Yusuf, salam goes through his entire childhood the, the, the drama and the trauma that he goes through of being uh, abandoned by his brothers, left for dead, lied to their father, uh, saved from the well, sold into slavery, purchased by, ends up being purchased somehow down the route by the Aziz of one of the ministers of Egypt. And now we're at the point where we talked about last week, or two weeks ago, where he was being, there was an attempted seduction. So Yusuf, alayhi salam, has been trapped by the wife of this minister, the wife of the Aziz. And there is an attempted seduction. So we read ayah number 22, 
right? When, when Yusuf reached the age of maturity, so he went from being a younger boy or a young man to now being an adult. And Allah Ta'ala granted him as a result of that wisdom and knowledge. So we talked about one of the lessons there is what? You're not going to be given wisdom and knowledge without the, the, the work of life, right? Life requires hard work. You can't move from point A to point B in life without putting forth effort. No one succeeds staying still, right? As one of my teachers said, only dead things don't grow. So no one succeeds by staying where they were. Everyone has to grow. Everyone has to move forward. And so Yusuf, السلام, as part of his life lesson, is that what? He moved forward. He had to be brought forward. Now, it wasn't exactly the most you know, easy or lovely of circumstances. He went from his life circumstance or his life experience went from being in a nice, comfortable home to being left you know, by his brothers to being captured and sold into slavery. And now he's in the, 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 the palace of Egypt. So he's gone through a lot. But Allah Ta'ala is telling us that part of that maturity that he went through is what gave him his special talent and his skill of knowledge and wisdom. And Allah Ta'ala says, for those people that are muhsineen, that are doers of good, that's the reward that they get. Okay, so then ayah number 23. The lady, i.e. the minister's wife, in whose house that he lived, Allah Ta'ala says, try to seduce him. She locked the doors firmly, meaning that she didn't just lock it, she like purposely and very intentionally locked it. And she called out to him in a, in a seductive way. And he replied that, what? قَالَ مَعَذَ اللَّهِ إِنَّهُ رَبِّ أَحْسَنَ مَثْوَايَةً إِنَّهُ لَا يُفْلِحُ الظَّالِمُونَ That Allah Ta'ala is my refuge. He is my protection. He's my security. It is not right to betray my master who has taken good care of me. Indeed, the wrongdoers never succeed. So we, we finished up kind of quickly on that point. So I want to revisit it a little bit. And that is that we learn a few things here from Yusuf's situation. Uh, you know, number one is that whenever a person is engaged with any sort of temptation or desire, that person needs to be honest with themselves. That's a really, really important point. Much of our mistakes in life occur because we are overconfident with our ability to maintain our straight path. We think, okay, you know what? I'm good. I don't have a problem with this, right? And that's why, subhanAllah, one of the ways in which scholars say that you can come to get to know yourself very easily is you participate in what's called muraqaba and muhasaba. Muraqaba and muhasaba is when a person becomes like deeply reflective. And muhasaba literally means like to take account of yourself. Okay? Why do you think like my fitness pal is such a big thing? Right? Why do you think people wear these like all these smart devices on their wrists that tell them how many steps they took and how much food they can eat now as a result of that or whatever, right? It's not how that works. But like 10,000? Pizza on me tonight, boys, you know? It's not how that works. But why do you think we're so obsessed with these things? Because they offer accountability for us, right? Have you guys worn your Apple Watch and it told you that, hey, you're having a pretty bad day, lazy, get up, right? Your watch will tell you, like, you haven't stood up today. What's wrong with you? You're like, it's Saturday, that's why I have not stood up. All of these things are forms of accountability. And as society, we recognize that muhasaba is beneficial for us. Right? People, there will be auto text messages sent out. Hey, you haven't gotten this, you haven't changed your oil, you haven't done this and that. We need this. So the first thing we have to do in order to benefit from all of this guidance that we're getting from Allah is we have to admit that we need help. If I think that I can handle everything by myself and that I'm good and that I don't need anything, I'm going to eventually eat my own words and I'm going to regret it. What's the first thing Prophet Yusuf says when, he's attempt, when there's an attempted you know, uh, seduction, or he's being engaged by this woman. He, what did he say? Ma'adallah. 
the first thing he does is he seeks refuge with Allah. He doesn't think that he's, he's a prophet. He's a prophet who's the son of a prophet, who comes from the lineage of prophethood. I mean, do you, you don't think he's learned a thing or two about how to, you know, stay on the straight and narrow, control himself? Of course he has. But every single person needs to rely upon Allah. The moment that a person forgets about Allah and the situation they're in, that's when they start to make these mistakes. And small mistakes become big mistakes. And big mistakes become even bigger mistakes. And they're very, very difficult to recover from once a person has gotten used to them. So the first thing that a person does is when they are in that moment of temptation, of desire, whatever way you have to do it, Whatever way you have to do it. It doesn't necessarily have to be external. Right? Hey, Muhammad, you want to come to Thirsty Thursdays? Allah! Right? Like, you don't have to like, scream Allah at your coworkers. They're like, who's that? You know? It's okay. You can just say, now you know what? It's it, part of my faith. It tells me not to do that. So I'm going to let you guys go. But I'll join you tomorrow for you know, hangover you know, donuts or whatever it is that you guys, that I can eat. Okay? That, that kind of reminder. And one way, that's one way that honestly I find it beneficial. When I go to restaurants, one of the first things I do is I tell the waiting staff that we can't drink. I'm sorry. You can't have pork and I can't drink. And they're like, okay. And I'm like, no, I'm allergic to it. And they're like, oh, because they'll take it seriously. There's a lawsuit, right? If allergies, there's a lawsuit waiting if they don't pay attention. So I say, I'm spiritually allergic to it, right? And, and, and they laugh. And I say, no, in my religion, like, I can't consume pork or uh, uh, alcohol, wine, any of that. And I said, like, can't even be cooked together. So, like, just, you know, heads up. And they're like, okay. And then when you ask them, like, okay, what can I eat now on the menu? They'll actually start to advocate for you. You're like, can I get the pancakes? They're like, those are cooked in lard. They're like, can I get the hash browns? They're like, those are soaked in bacon before we cook them. And they'll start to ruin your day. And then by the end of it, you just get the fruit cup. And that's it. That's your breakfast, right? That's all you can have. But at least you, again, you remembered a lot in that moment. Not every temptation is sexual, really. There are a lot, no doubt. But not every temptation is sexual. Not every desire is something that has to do with a person's you know, bodily urge. No, sometimes it's like, I want to do this. I want to skip prayer. I want to do this. The next time that you see that a movie you want to watch or the playoff game that you want to watch is going to interrupt your salah, be the person that verbally says in the group of friends, hey, how, when are we going to pray Maghrib? And watch as that remembrance of Allah now starts to dissipate within the ecosystem now. And just like this beautiful fragrance you smell and you guys see it starts to make the musk of the room, like spiritual, everyone, okay, yeah, yeah, you know what? And then everyone, everyone becomes creative. You know what? During halftime, let's just pray. Or you know what? We can actually see the later show, we can get Maghrib in beforehand. Or we can go now, and Maghrib will be right after we finish. Like, people get creative with it. Why? Because somebody remembered Allah. But if I forget Allah, and I'm not courageous enough to say it, and to even make that point, then all of a sudden I've made the battle so much harder for myself. And I become, I become resentful and I become upset. My work doesn't accommodate for me. I can't pray Juma. Well, did you ever tell them that Juma exists? Did you ever even mention that? You know, you feel bad driving home from the movie, you miss prayer. Well, did you like bring it up? Like maybe if you brought it up in the planning stages before everything was set, that could have been something that would have been handled. But if we don't do that, if we don't remember Allah, then we can only blame ourselves. Prophet Yusuf salam teaches us this. And then he mentions... And I mentioned that there's a difference here. Who is Rabbi here? The scholars differ. One of them says, some, one group of them says he's talking about Allah, and the other group says he's speaking about the Aziz himself, the, the minister himself who has put him up, taken care of him, made sure he's. And if you read both Tafasir, you realize that there's actually no contradiction. He could have meant both actually. 
He could have meant that the person taking care of me, right? And it's such a big, as they say, like it's a fadiha, it's like so embarrassing. It's so horrific as a guest to dishonor the host that took care of you. That's why like in, in Islamic uh, uh, social culture, the idea of being a, a good host is definitely there, but the idea of being a good guest is also there, right? You can't be a bad guest. I, I've stayed at people's houses with my parents, and my mom is like, don't touch that. And I'm like, they said we could have some. She's like, they don't mean it. <laughs> and I'm like, and there's like this battle of like, why didn't you guys have any of the chocolate? It's like, oh, we will. And then my mom's like, you won't. And there's this battle of like being good, right? Being good. Now, again, all of that is culturally, I'm not trying to say don't. And if the person's like, make yourself at home, have some, you know, help yourself to the drinks in the fridge. They probably put them there so that you would do that, right? But again, it's almost like understanding that balance, okay? So he is the guest of the host and he's like, the last thing that I could conceive of right now is doing something so horrific to the honor and to the heart of the person who's done me so well. So if I, like, if I at the very minimum cannot wrong, not, not wrong somebody because of like my taqwa of Allah and like all of the other things that are much higher objectives, at the very minimum, when you want to wrong somebody, think about the good they've done for you. Think about something they've done for you. Some people get so frustrated with their friends or their family or their parents or whatever. And, and, and it's in that moment, subhanAllah, the nafs becomes completely like, has amnesia, complete forgetfulness of every good thing that this person has ever done for you. The Prophet ﷺ described this phenomenon in the hadith with certain relationships. He said that there will be people who are in a, a certain type of relationship. He mentioned it. And he said one person will do the wrong thing after an entire lifetime of good. He'll do one wrong thing, and potentially she'll do one wrong thing, and the other party will say, you've never done anything good for me in your life. Right? This is, this is something that's very dangerous. It's completely devoid of gratitude. So Yusuf salam, is teaching us here, we don't wrong people at all, but we definitely don't wrong somebody that's done us good. How, how, how shameful is it to hurt somebody that's done nothing but help you? Done nothing but help you and, and put you on the right path. And then, of course, the greatest host is Allah. Any host that has hosted you is only hosting you because the host hosted them. Bars, right? <laughs> right, I was trying too hard to be Sheikh Mikhail. Let me take that back. Allah is the one that gave anybody the capacity to do good to you. So if I am, Alhamdulillah. So if I am, if you sneeze during a break, I will call it out. Alhamdulillah. Okay, right? So if I am being wrong, oppressive in my faith, I'm actually being shamefully oppressive to my Lord who has hosted me and given me so much. And when you realize it, subhanAllah, this is why they say that the oxygen for your faith is gratitude. Your faith cannot breathe if you don't have shukr for Allah. It won't be able to breathe. A person will, will, will spiritually be strangled if they don't recognize the blessings they have from Allah. And it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be perfect. You know, you, you think about the blessings of Allah and then you realize your own imperfections and you start to say, well, you know, I'm so, I'm not there, you know. And, you start, and then we avoid re reflecting on those blessings because it makes us feel guilty, right? How could I be given so much and give back so little? But realize that what Allah is expecting of you is not to match His generosity. It's impossible. He's not expecting that. Allah is expecting you to enjoy the generosity, to thank Him for it, to try your best to live up to it, and when you fall short, to repent. 
That's the equation. That's it. Thank him. Do your best to live up to it. And when you fall short, you repent. That's what Allah is expecting of us. Okay? So he says that, this is my Lord who has taken care of me, or this is the Lord of the house who has taken care of me, and he has put me up so well. That verily, no one who ever intends wrong will ever succeed. Now, this phrasing is one that you hear on repeat in the Qur'an. Allah will say, Verily those who do good will succeed. Verily those who do wrong will never succeed. And then you look around, it sounds amazing, and then you look around and you see in the world that people who are doing like really good, they're like being oppressed and killed and tortured. And then you look around and you see like oppressors and tyrants are like doing really well. And it makes you upset. Because this is like the problem of theodicy, right? This is like the deep crisis of faith that many people have. Like, wait a second. I remember as a kid being so upset that Bill Gates wasn't Muslim. And I was like, how? I didn't know the Sultan of Brunei was, and he was actually the wealthiest person. But I used to be like, that's not fair. It's not fair. I have to get up and pray. I have to do all these things. And I'm not the richest person in the world. But here, here is like this, the wealthiest person in the world, and he's not even Muslim. It's not right. He's clearly, you know, doing well. Even though he's not, he doesn't believe in God the same way that I do. And you get upset with those things. And then you see, it's even worse when you see people who are like wrongdoers, like tyrants. You see these political, you know, uh, 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 tyrants doing horrible things, but then they live in these palaces and they have all these like luxuries, right? The problem is your definition of success is off. That's the problem. I mean, what is success? What is happiness? For some people, happiness is, is honestly, it's, it's completely unattainable. Because they've imagined something that's completely not real. I was actually having a conversation recently with somebody, and they were in the talks of uh, they were in the marriage talks. Dun, dun, dun. They were in the marriage talks, and um, when I asked them how do you define happiness, they started to like list all these material things, like I want this, I want that, I want this, I want, I want my family to have this, live in this place, drive these cars. It was all material, right? And I said that's your that's a happy marriage for you, and he said yeah, for sure. And I said what if all of that falls short? So what if instead of living there, you live here? What if instead of driving that, you drive this? Is your marriage a failure? And he wanted to say yes, but then he felt the pressure from the girl he was talking to, and she was like, no. Like, my definition of happiness in a marriage is that we have each other, and that we are in it through thick and thin. And this guy, unfortunately, just kind of <laughs> you know, he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that makes me happy, right? <laughs> You know what I mean? So if you set your standard of happiness or success to be something that Allah didn't set, then don't expect to ever reach it. Right? So if I look around the world and I'm upset that people that are achieving success by my definition are not living my standard of life, then it's my problem. It's not God's. It's not theirs. It's mine. Right? So what is Allah saying here? The wrongdoers will never succeed. So then all you look around the world and you say, oh, there's all these wrongdoers. What? This is talking about the ultimate success and failure. That people who do wrong will be people that will have to face their judgment on that day when nobody can hide. When those people are being given their book in their right and their left hand. And they're going to have to answer to Allah for every moment, every second, every penny, every oppression, everything. But you know what's crazy? I'll tell you this. Because for some of us, it's not enough. I know it's, it's, it's a low point of faith. May Allah Ta'ala help us. That 
the afterlife is not enough of a motivation. Right? That should be enough. That Allah Ta'ala tells us that the people that do wrong will never be in Jannah. The people that do right will never be in hellfire. We should be like, all right, I'm going to focus on doing more right, and I don't care about whoever does whatever they want. But I will tell you this. Ibn Ata'illah, he adds an interesting layer to this. And he says, the people that do wrong, that go against God and themselves and their virtues, and all they do is wrong people, and they, they seem to be enjoying it, he says, don't think for a second that they don't have to wrestle with the fact of the monster that they are. Don't think for a second that they don't look in the mirror hating deep down what they have become. Don't think for a second that they get away with that. Ibn Ta'illah says one of the punishments of sin is that you have to know that you're a person capable of that sin. And that sits heavy. And if it doesn't sit heavy, that's even worse. Because then a person can't even recognize. Can you imagine somebody that hurts somebody and the person's crying in front of them and they don't even feel bad? They don't feel bad. They just sit and they're like, why are they crying? Because you hurt them. Oh, really? That's weird. No, what's horrific is that you have no empathy. So the monster can take over. Ibn Al-Ta'illah says that's one of the punishments Allah gives people in this life. Is that they become isolated. No friends. No family. Nobody wants to spend time with them. Nobody wants to be near them. And when they're on their deathbed, they realize at that moment, but it's too late. Likewise, the people that do good, it doesn't matter how many material obstacles they encounter. It doesn't matter how many jobs they don't get, how many proposals don't go well, how many this or that. Those people wake up every day and go to sleep every night knowing that they have done their best to please Allah and be good to their family and be good to their friends. And they live their life with the intrinsic warmth of being a person that's loved. Not only by people that know them, but even people that don't know them. They love them. Because why? Because they're so beautiful internally. And when it comes time for this person to leave their, this dun, dunya, everyone around them is crying because they can't imagine a world without them. So this idea of success and failure if we want to really understand it in the Qur'anic way, we have to redefine it. Islam is all about redef redefinitions. Redefine everything. Okay? So, the next ayah. She advanced towards him. She advanced towards him. وَلَقَدْ هَمَّتْ بِهِ وَهَمَّ بِهَا لَوْلَا أَنْ رَأَى بُرْهَانَ رَبِّي So, this we translated. She had desire for him and he would have too, except that he saw the burhan of his Lord, the proof of his Lord. What is the proof of his Lord? In that moment, the, the, the dominant opinion of tafsir, right? Some people say that Jibril appeared in front of him and, and reminded him. But the dominant opinion of tafsir is that this burhan, this proof, was that internal siren that everybody has. Right? You know when you're about to do something wrong and then your heart tells you no? You know when your alarm for Fedra is going off and you reach for the button and then your heart tells you no? Or you know when you're about to talk back to somebody and say something, you know when you're about to backbite, or do something that you know you're going to regret, and your heart tells you, don't do it, that's burhan rabbi. And just like Yusuf had that moment, every single day we all have that moment. Every single day. It's not that we don't. We do, but here's the trick. The more we listen to that moment, that siren that's going off, the stronger it becomes. The more you focus on the certain sound that that heart makes that's calling you to remember Allah, 
the more familiar that voice becomes. But the more that I ignore it, the more of a stranger it becomes to me. And the less able I am to hear it in the times that I need it most. And then there comes a time when I'm wandering through life and I'm bumping into all these walls and I'm wondering why my heart doesn't work. The reality is that you ignored it for, for so long. And what happens when you ignore someone for long enough? They stop showing up. If you ignore someone for long enough, they just stop showing up. If I ignore Salah for so long, Salah will just stop calling to me. I won't feel it anymore. Right? This is the reality of the heart. So Yusuf was tapped in with his heart. There was no way he's going to be in a scenario like this and his heart's not going to call out to him. Right? And Ramadan is an amazing chance for us to refresh and purify that heart. And it reminds us, right? I'm, I don't want to raise of hands here because this isn't like a support group. But think about the first prayer you miss after Ramadan. Think about how painful that feeling is. Or that first fajr, or whatever it is. Think about it. Or the sin that you stayed away from all month. Right? That Taylor Swift concert you avoided all month. And then after Eid, here she comes. American Airlines Arena. Your friends got tickets. I hope, someone, I hope people are sweating right now. Because I'm on Instagram. Okay? That first moment, may Allah forgive us and all the Swifties. I mean, Yarab, right? <laughs> that first moment that you commit that mistake, that first moment, how sour does your heart feel? What's crazy is like just six months prior, without Ramadan, that same mistake, you don't even think twice about it. But Ramadan gave you 30 days of polishing, detailing, cleaning, scrubbing, and your heart is like at its most sensitive, and I mean that in a good way. Your heart is at its most receptive and full of faith on the, on the day of Eid. That's where it is. That's why Eid, by the way, Umar Khattab was attributed to have said once that Eid is not a celebration except for the one who has forgiven all, was forgiven all their sins. He said, we only celebrate Eid because we, we were forgiven all of our sins. That's what the Eid is for, right? So, and on the Eid al-Adha, we sacrifice an animal. Eid al-Fitr, we sacrifice our desires. Eid al-Adha, there's no fasting. There's no, we sacrifice the animal. On Eid al-Fitr, we sacrifice our old person, who we were. We're not going to go back to that, right? So the first time that I slip, it's so sour. And that's a good thing. It's a sign that your spiritual nerves are working. They're working, Okay. So this burhan that Yusuf is experiencing is something that we all experience. Then, كَذَلِكَ لِنَصْرِفَ عَنْهُ أَسُوْ That this is how we kept away the evil and indecency. إِنَّهُ مِنْ عِبَادِنَا الْمُخْلِصِينَ الْمُخْلَصِينَ There's two different... So what happens is amazing. You take the first step, you recognize in that moment that Allah is there, and somehow, some way, Allah says, لِنَصْرِفَ عَنْهُ we turned it away from him. Somehow, some way, Allah Ta'ala will make your situation dissolve. You'll, you, either you'll become stronger and able to handle it, or something will occur, something will change, that will allow you to be able to withstand the onslaught of that desire. Okay? Then Allah Ta'ala continues, They raced for the door. Yusuf runs for the door, and 
the wife of the Aziz, the minister's wife, she also runs for the door. Now, when she's running, she's panicking. And she tore his shirt that he was wearing. He was in front of her, he was getting away. And instead of her being, instead of her being outed, right, what she was trying to do, she grabbed at him and pulled his shirt. And she tore it from the back. When they opened the door, who was standing there? The ayah says, only to find her husband at the door. Okay, this is a very interesting scenario. If you're imagining this like in a movie, right? She planned this. She strategically planned this, that her husband was not going to be away. And then all of a sudden he's home. Okay? In that moment, when she sees her husband at the door, she what? She panics. And what do we say you do when you panic after committing a sin? What happens? Yeah. Where Does this sound familiar? What were the boys doing earlier? They said we were doing what? And Yusuf was keeping our stuff. They were racing in the desert. And what did they bring home covered in blood? A shirt. What is Yusuf doing here? He's racing away. What is torn? His shirt. There's themes here, subhanAllah. The same shirt that became the, the, the artifact of his death and his demise that his brothers used to try to get rid of him, it will become the same reason for his innocence here. There's a lesson there. Let's finish and I'll tell you. She says out loud in front of her husband and Yusuf, who now has a torn shirt, what is the penalty? What is the reward or penalty? مَا جَزَاءُ مَنْ أَرَادَ بِأَهْلِكَ سُوءًا That what is the penalty for somebody who tries to violate and do evil things to your wife? So now she's accusing Yusuf salam of being the person who was trying to assault her instead of the opposite that was true. Except she says that we should imprison him or we should punish him with a grievous punishment. This is an interesting thing here, subhanAllah. There's a lot of tafsir behind this. One of the things that's mentioned is that when a person commits a sin, they become a lot more prone to seeing that sin in the world around them. Okay? If a person lies a lot, they all of a sudden see that everyone's lying. Now, that person may not, the people they see are not lying, they're just accusing them of lying. Right? If a person backbites a lot, they might assume that everyone's backbiting. Why? Because misery loves company. No one likes to be the only person doing something wrong. So the minute that I start to engage in a sin, what do I see in other people? I'll see the negative traits that I'm doing. And they become oh so recognizable, just like when you wear a shirt from a store and you see someone wearing something similar, you're like, did you get that from, did you get that from there, right? The Taylor Swift concert, merch stand? They're like, no, I got this from Walmart. You're like, oh, okay. You start to incorrectly identify things that you think are normal because you're doing it. And when it comes to making mistakes, this is a problem. Because all you see now are the negative things in people. You look around and you see somebody and you can't see any benefit, okay? You know what's amazing here, subhanAllah, is Allah is teaching us this through this ayah. Two people are running for the door, but they're running for completely different intentions. One of them is running to save himself. And the other one is running to chase after the one who's trying to get away. How many times in life do you see two different people doing the same action and they have two very different intentions? You can't judge what somebody's doing by your own intention because you don't know what's in their heart. So Yusuf is running away. And again, for somebody that is sinful, like the wife here, 
all she is going to be able to think about is, well, no, 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 he wanted me too. He gave me all these signs. He kept walking past me. He kept, he kept slowing down when I walked by. She's going to create this argument now that supports her problem because that's all she can see in the world. But the beautiful thing is, subhanAllah, that when you become accustomed to doing good deeds, the same is true for the other way. If you become generous, you start to recognize people's generosity. If you become patient, you start to see people's patience. You can only see what you possess. So the reality behind tazkiyah, behind being a person with a clean heart, is if you work on yourself, you will see the beauty in others. If you don't, all you're going to see is ugly. That's it. But subhanAllah, the ugly you're seeing is really just your own reflection. Right? The people that are like, I hate drama, but it always finds me. Habibi, you're dramatic. <laughs> That's your problem. You are drama, right? Abu Drama himself. That's you. I don't know why everyone already... No, because, because. Maybe for once, sit down and don't say anything. Maybe for once... I don't know why everyone always does this. Well, because you put yourself in environments where you always do that, and now you recognize it, and that's become part of you. But the people who are the happiest in the world don't think poorly of others. And this is something that's very difficult for us. We're in, we, we are, by, in, by, by, by large amounts and majority, we are a society that feels very confident in what we know. We are arrogant about how we feel. We are entitled, and we are convinced that we are right. And this is part of the soil of the West. Like, we were, if you were born and raised here, this is who you are, right? Because if you're any other way, you're considered weak, unsure, not professional, not strong, blah, 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 right? So you have to be this way, okay? And in fact, if you try to become the person who is like a better standard, forgiving, you know, if you're gentle, soft, people start to interpret what? This person can't stand their ground. They get walked on. They get blah, 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 all that, right? The Prophet ﷺ, who was more gentle than him? Who was more, who was more compassionate and graceful than him ﷺ? But if he were to work at your company today, who knows by what standard they would judge his character by. Of course, he's the most beautiful, subhanAllah. But our hearts are so distant from that that we might see it as being like, why? Why is he being so nice? He should stand up, right? Push back. Okay, so here she is unfortunately able to make up this lie quickly because that's what her heart contains. Now, Yusuf السلام, he says something in return. He says, no, it was she, it was her. She's the one who tried to seduce me. Okay, so now it's his word against hers. Who do you think is going to win this battle? Obviously, if it's one versus one, you're going to take the person that might, maybe has more of a, uh, uh, you know, status. Okay, so she, she has a stronger hand at this point. SubhanAllah, what happens next? Okay. وَشَهِدَ شَاهِدٌ مِنْ أَهْلِهَا Uh-oh. Here comes the witness. Now, the witness here is not a literal witness. Because there was no one in the room besides the two of them. Okay. But what is the shahid here, the witness, what is that title referring to? Well, let me tell you. The tafsir mentions something so incredible. It says, min ahliha, from her family. What's unique about this? Why does that condition matter? Why does the witness being from her family matter in this scenario? Because what does the witness say? The witness says, well, if his shirt is torn from the back, then it means that she was chasing him. But if it was torn from the front, then it means that what? That means that she was defending herself. Torn from the back, she was chasing him. 
torn from the front, it means that he was chasing her and she was defending herself. So the witness is like, let's let the shirt dictate. And he's, everyone's looking at the shirt. It's not like he's in a box. Pull the shirt out. Whoa, you know, no. He's wearing it. He know, everyone knows. This guy is, is stating something that's very uh, plainly visible to everybody. He's trying to make a point. Okay? But Allah tells us that this witness is from her family. Why? Because if he's from her family, that means he also lives in the palace. He's also been walking those same hallways. And what's one thing about sin and good deed, virtue and vice, that we know to be true, is that you can only hide it for so long. You can only hide it for so long. So even though he wasn't in the room when that event took place, he's like, man, I've been seeing exactly how you've been acting. I've seen you. You walk by him, you do this, you do that. He knows. Because a person can't hide it. You think that you can hide things? Man, you have a horrible poker face. Like everyone does. God awful, right? People start lying. They start looking all around the room. You weren't that interested in that plant before, and all of a sudden you can't stop staring at it. I'm over here. Look at, my, look at me, right? And this is the reality, subhanAllah, is that a person, they can't hide who they are, for better or for worse. There will be people that try to hide who they are, the good within them, and Allah will reveal it, right? This is why, by the way, you don't have to reveal your good. Allah will make it known. And if he doesn't, who cares? On the Day of Judgment, that's all that matters. But you won't be able to hide that goodness. I told you guys about my secret Hafiz friend. Hafiz means a person who's memorized the Qur'an. One day it just came out that he memorized the Qur'an. It's not like a small thing. It's a big deal, right? And the way it came out was so weird. We were asking, where are you going to pray Tarawih? And he's like, I have to go to this masjid. And I was like, nobody has to go anywhere. Do you work for them? And he's like, no. And I was like, okay. So like maybe like we go on the weekend somewhere else. And he's like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be there the whole month. And I was like, doing what? And he's like, I'm just going to be there. And I was like, okay, well, why don't we you know, go somewhere and then go for the second half or whatever. He was not going to be there the whole, the whole uh, Tarawih. And his wife is sitting right there and she's like cutting onions with like this focus <laughs> and cucumbers. And she's just like, avoiding the conversation and then I'm like wait and then he's like huh and I'm like are you Hafid and he's like uh, yeah I me- yeah I memorized it I'm like it the Quran <laughs> he like doesn't want to come to that point and you're like you memorize the Quran he's like yeah I was like when you're a doctor like when did you have time he's like medical school I was like stop it right now <laughs> you're a daisy baller who is Hafiz of Qur'an and a doctor, Jibreel alayhi salam, like himself, in the flesh. Every auntie's dream, man. And that was just him. You can only hide it for so long, right? And he really was trying to, subhanAllah. So good and bad, they're so powerful. Vice and virtue, right? These, these traits are things that they, they exude on a person. You don't have to beautify yourself. Let your faith beautify you. You don't have to worry about that. In fact, most forms of beauty that we think about now are actually covering up our ugliness. But if we just worry about the right things, the beauty will start to manifest. Wallahi, it will. What beauty have you seen more than someone who just did Umrah? You know? I mean, you look at people that have gone to Mecca and Medina, no product, no foundation, no eyeshadow, nothing. Brothers are all wearing the same white thobe, shaved head. All of them. Right? And, wallahi, there's not a more beautiful sight that I've ever seen. 
So we ask Allah Ta'ala to beautify us with the beauty of faith. Amin, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Okay, so this came out, and the, and the witness said, look, let's go ahead and let the shirt tell the story, okay? And then he says, if it's ripped from the front, she's being truthful and he's a liar. But if the shirt was ripped from the back, okay? وَإِنْ كَانَ قَمِيسُهُ قُدَّ مِنْ دُبُرٍ فَكَذَّبَتْ وَهُوَ مِنَ الصَّادِقِينَ Then she has lied and he is from the truthful. So when her husband examined the shirt, when the Aziz examined the shirt, he looked and he said to her that this, he recognized in her, he said, this is something that you have as a problem. This is an example of your, how could you come up with this? Not even just, obviously, the stress that it puts upon their relationship and all that, but the fact that you could, in this moment, lie in a way that would put this person's life in jeopardy, right? If he's sexual assault, I mean, this isn't, you know, oh, due process and this and that. No, the dude's going to be, he's going to be executed. You're, you're willing to let this person die over a lie because you're embarrassed because you got caught? And then he says that your cunning is incredible. Your cunning is incredible. This is also a statement, subhanAllah, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us, that a person who is sinful will stop at no lengths there will be nothing that can stop them. The nafs is the worst and most horrific lawyer in existence. The very person that you thought was like your best friend, when it comes to saving themselves, they will give you up if their nafs is stronger than their iman, if their nafs has not been trained. Right? I mean, there, there, is, a, there is a no snitches policy with people of faith. People of faith... They will protect their friends, they will protect their companions, their families, and they will admit, and they will put themselves to the point where they will take on the burden, right? What, is the, what did the, Imam Ghazali say in his text? You take on their burden, you don't put their burden on them. Right now, she is literally taking her burden, her sin, and she's putting on everybody else. He did this, she, he did that, he did that. When in fact, subhanAllah, when it comes to this point, the nafs will always defend itself. And the Aziz is, is realizing this right now. And he says that, man, you have, no, you have no floor. You know, they say like, this is as low as you can go. No, you're even lower than that. You're even lower than that. When a person becomes too accustomed to sinning, there is no floor that is low enough to save them from where they could go. May Allah Ta'ala protect us. Okay? So all these lies that could come, subhanAllah, and they could actually you know, affect someone's life in a serious way. So the, the husband then turns, and we'll finish here. The husband and the, the, the minister, he turns to Yusuf, and he says, Yusuf, أعرد عن هذا. Yusuf, just turn the other cheek. Like, just forget about this, please. Okay? And you, he's speaking to his wife, وَاسْتَغْفِرِي لِذَنْبِكِ so He's speaking to his wife, says, you need to seek forgiveness for your mistake. إِنَّكَ كُنْتِي مِنَ الْخَاطِئِينَ That verily you are a person that is from those who has committed mistakes. Another very interesting point here. When the truth has become clean, clear and plain, subhanAllah, the nafs that we just talked about, you know, like we were talking about her nafs is like taking over and now she's like making up lies for her mistake and this and that. And even though the husband's like, wow, your nafs is so bad. Yusuf, can we just forget about this? Can we forget this ever happened? What's interesting there? Because it's his family, and because it's his wife, and his, his reputation, what is he saying? We can't let people know. If people find out, then 
my life, my status, my this, my that is ruined. Lo kya kehenge? What will people say? What will people say? It's interesting. People lose their ethics and their morality when it comes to their status. People are like so willing to be righteous up until it's demanded of them. Then it's like, ah, isn't there a loophole? Isn't there, an ex- isn't there some sort of exclusion? True justice, true righteousness is when you're righteous and when you're just including yourself in that equation. That I may have to change something about me, not just demand things from others. Right? What's the first step in attaining righteousness is looking internally, not externally. So instead of telling Yusuf, like, Yusuf, can we just, you know, let bygones be bygones? And what's Yusuf going to say? He's their servant. He's their slave. He can't say, like, no, I'm going to the news. No, man. He has no choice. This is a request where there's actually no option. The only option is, yes, hadr. Right? But he tells him that, hey, let's just forget about this. If a person cannot be just with their own selves, admit their wrongs with their own selves, own up to their own mistakes, then they will never be able to taste what righteousness tastes like. They will never be able to. The Prophet ﷺ, a person who never committed mistakes, a person who was protected from committing mistakes like you and I do, mistakes that are driven from, from passion or anger or whatever, when, when people came to him and foolishly accused him of wronging them, he wasn't like, and many of the times Omar had his hand on his sword ready. Like, I'm about to take this fool out. And the Prophet would look at Omar and he would say, don't. Don't do that. One time there was a person that claimed the Prophet was cheating him in business. It was a bad year for crops and his investment didn't turn out. The Prophet was supposed to take care of it for him. The person said, you cheated. Give me my investment. I gave you 10000 You're telling me now it didn't multiply? You cheated me. It was a bad year. It was a drought. The Prophet told the companions, go and get him. Not only what we promised. If you, if you put an investment, the risk is all on you, right? If I invest $10,000 and I lose it, it's not on the per- It's on me. I trusted them with it, okay? So I can get back maybe some of it, 5000 I lost half of it. You know, 2000 I lost 80% of it. You like that math? Okay? The Prophet told him, don't go give him 10000 which is his original investment, which is like crazy. You should, why would a person ever be able to demand that back? Where, where, where was the investment? Where was the risk? He said, go and give him what he expected. Give him 15000 Give him twenty, whatever he expected. He, he wanted it to double, give him double. The companions were shocked. He said, go and give him what he expected. And the man was like, hmm, walked away. The Prophet never, ever, even when he was right, never flexed his power on people to maintain any status. In fact, what we learn is that his status was in fact so, was multiplied, was so far beyond everybody else why? Because he held himself to account more than others did. This justice and this piety that we see. So we ask Allah Ta'ala to grant us this. We ask Allah Ta'ala to grant us true righteousness and true health of the heart. We ask Allah Ta'ala to always preserve us and to always make us people that are in the right. 
and to protect us from falling into wrong. We ask Allah Ta'ala to protect us from our desires and to allow us to be people that can always remember Him in a moment of weakness. We ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to always hear the remembrance of our heart in moments where we are tempted. We ask Allah Ta'ala to always grant us the ability to make right decisions in tough times. We ask Allah Ta'ala to protect our eyes and our ears and our tongues from going against Him. And we ask Allah Ta'ala to allow our hearts to be the homes and the vessels of the light of faith that will guide us to make good decisions in every moment that we are here on this earth. Ameen, ameen, ya Rabbil Alameen. Subhanaka wa bihamdik, nashadu wa la ilaha illa ant, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. We hope that inshallah you enjoyed and benefited listening to the Heartwork Community Quran Study Series on Surah Yusuf. If you did enjoy and if you did benefit, then please consider helping us reach our Ramadan campaign goal of 250 new sustainers by heading over to rootsdfw.org sustain. If you're already a sustainer, let your family and friends know to support the work that we do. We'll see you next week, inshallah. Jazakum Allah khairan. Wassalamu alaikum warahmatullah.